0: But for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about church. We're going to be talking about community. We're we're going to be talking about what does it look like for us to be and do church together. What does real Christian, biblically prescribed community look like? And that's important for, for a handful of reasons. First, we want to be who God has called us to be. Like, as a church, we want to be the church that God has called us to be, is God has talked about what it means to be the church, and, and we want to respond to that. We want to do our best to be that. What, it, something that's hopefully true for all of us in all of our lives is that we want to be the person that God has called us to be. We, we, want to, we want to live the way God has called us to live. We want to have the priorities that God has called us to have in whatever our walk of life, and, and that extends to the church is that when we look at scripture and we see what God says the church is supposed to be, we as the church wanna look at that and take that seriously and say, that's what we want to be. And, And God has given us some instructions on what it means to be a part, or what it means to be the church, and what it means for us as individuals to be a part of the church. And so we're gonna spend some time looking at that over the next couple of weeks. Secondly, as we move to two services, um, community and connection are going to be so very important for our church to remain healthy and, and thrive during this time of transition that, that we are going to need to create opportunities to be Community to one another between the Niners and the 1045ers. And so, like, on the first Sunday, when we do that, we're going to have donuts in between the service. And so, you're, you're going to need to stay late to, to get a donut, but friends, you're going to need to come early to get a donut. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that if you come late to the first service, there may not be any donuts for you. And so, we're going to create these spaces. And lastly, Jesus set the idea of community and unity and fellowship of believers in an extremely high place. A lot of times when, we, when this conversation comes up, um, th- this specific verse will get talked about a lot, but it cannot be understated just how important Jesus places community and unity in the body of Christ. But Jesus will say this, To to his disciples, and and by extension, us. He will say, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then Jesus brings home the importance of this. A a new commandment from Jesus already should be pretty important. If if we hear God saying, I've got something more for you, that should already get get our attention. But then Jesus goes and, and he puts it in the most like black and white strong kind of like terminology that, that we can understand. When he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus tells us that, that all of the things that could be our greatest testimony to the world, that that could be our greatest traits as Christians, the thing that needs to be what sets us apart from the world, the thing that needs to be our testimony, that when people look at the church, when people look at, at the body of believers, when people look at Christians, that they would go, that's something unique. When people would look at that, the thing that they should see is our love for one another now jesus could have said any number of things there he, he could have said the thing that will set you apart is your your theology the thing that could set you or the thing that should set you apart is is your uh, apologetical prowess your ability to 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 Argue the faith, your ability to have deep understanding of the faith. He could have said, you're, you're, what will make you stand apart is your stance on issues of the day. That, that culturally, what's going on and, and how you respond to those issues, that will be how the world will know you're my, dis, my disciples. But that's, that's not what he said. He didn't say our church attendance. He didn't say how much we volunteer. He didn't even say how, how much we give. He didn't say how nice you are. He didn't say how often you give a nice wave gesture to the person who cut you off in traffic rather than other hand gestures. In fact, it's interesting to note that Jesus didn't even say that it would be our love for the world. That he, you know, for the people of the world. He he didn't say... It would be our love for the people around us, our love for the lost, our our love for communities. Jesus didn't even say those would be the markers. Of all of the things Jesus could have chosen to give us as our identifiable marker, he said that it would be the way that brothers and sisters in the Lord love each other. The way that love is expressed inside of this. The way that love is expressed inside of the church, inside of the community of believers. The world is supposed to look at the way that we love each other, the way that that love is expressed inside of the body of Christ and, and see something different than what they see in the world around them. They're supposed to look at us and and the way we love each other and the the, the community and the life together that we have. and, And they're supposed to see something that they don't see when they look at the world around them. We are meant to be a people that are so diverse, so different, so seemingly incompatible that we just don't make sense. That people are supposed to look at us as the church and they're supposed to go, I don't understand how that works. How all of those people who are so different, who have such different life experience, that have such different ways of viewing the world, all that are different ages, that are different in every conceivable way, the world is supposed to look at us and go, they shouldn't get along. But they love each other. What is going on there? What is going on there? We are meant to be a group of people so diverse, diverse in ways that should not allow us to be connected, in ways that, that doesn't allow the world to love. Friends, we're meant, we are meant to be politically diverse. We are meant to have different views on politics. We are meant to do that because we are meant to be united in ways that the world can't understand. And I'm sure all of us know that politics divides people up quickly. But we are meant to be above that. We are meant to be racially diverse. We are meant to not all look like each other. We are meant to have different stories. We are meant to have different dreams. We are meant to be racially diverse. We are meant to be generationally diverse. We are meant to be that. We are not meant to all be the same in any way. We need to have differences. And that's what separates us from the world. But this also highlights for us one of the most alarming things that can take place inside of the church. Not our church, but the church that is hurt. Do you know the most segregated and divided time within the Christian community? Do you know when that is? Sunday mornings. Churches have, have, have seen that a way to grow is to cater to one kind of person and to push hard to, to be it, to find that kind, to be political, that, that we, we as a church, we are going to attract a certain kind of person by being a certain kind of, of outward politicalness, or, or racially or generationally, that we become a blank church, whatever your word you want to fill in there, so that we can grow our church. But that's not what the church was meant to be, and it's, it's not what the church should be. We're not called to divide people up to keep unity. That we're not called to, well, what we can do is if we put everybody into all of these little groups, then we'll have unity because everyone will, no, that's, that's friends, that's, that's not unity. We're not called to find the places where unity is hard and say, well, if we, we just separate these two things, then we can have unity. See, unity only happens when disunity is an option and we choose unity. Unity doesn't come from finding the places where we disagree with each other and then for the sake of unity, pulling ourselves apart. That's that's not true unity. It's not true unity to say we're, we're going to find the places where we disagree And then we just won't let those two things come in contact with each other. There, now we have unity. Unity is when we could disagree, but there's something bigger and more important that unites us than the things we could disagree with each other about. And so what I want to do today and for the next couple of weeks is to look at this connection, this community, this love that the Bible tells us we're supposed to have for each other, that Jesus would say, this is your calling card, and discover together what Hillside Church could look like if we were to embrace this kind of love and connection for each other. See, friends, the problem with other people is other people. Do you know who the worst drivers are? Other people. Do you know who's rude? Other people. Do you know who makes your day worse right out of the get-go? Other people. The problem with other people is is that they're other people. that, That if people were more just like me, what a better world we'd have. That's not true at all. But we live with this calling to live with other people. Life can be difficult when we live it with other people. But friends, living with other people is also the most rewarding way to live. But living with other people always makes life more difficult. There's a verse in Proverbs that I think shows this well. And it's a verse that my brain goes back to a lot. It's Proverbs 14.4. And it will say, without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. If you want to have a clean stable, don't put any ox in there. And it will stay clean. You won't have any issues. It'll be the cleanest stable in the world. Now, it may not serve the purpose, that if you actually want to, to have your purpose fulfilled that you should have, then you need an ox. But if you have an ox, it's going to make a mess. Your stable will be clean without an ox. The only problem, if you want to get done what you need to get done on the farm, It's going to be incredibly difficult without the thing you need to do the work, the ox. Now obviously, this is not just a lesson for for farmers, but the idea here is that if you don't want to make a mess, don't invite the things that make a mess. If you don't want to have a mess, don't introduce the things that make a mess in, and you won't have a mess. The problem is often the things that we need In life, are the things that make a mess. The problem with other people is other people. And this is the problem with other people. When we have other people, sometimes we have problems. Even when it's people we love and care about deeply. See, I am so incredibly deeply. And passionately in love with my wife I think she is wonderful you can say amen to that that's right but here's the thing sometimes we don't see eye to eye now it's usually my fault so we'll, we'll, we'll get that out there right of the way but do you know the secret to never having a fight with your wife? Don't have a wife. Like, like if, if the only way to ensure that you will never have a fight with your spouse is to not have one. Anyone who has a spouse, there is not a single person here that can... If you've been married for two days, first, congratulations. Congratulations. Second, you've already fought with each other. There is not a single spouse couple here that that could honestly say, oh, we have never fought. No, you have fought. And that's okay. There there are things about fighting inside of a marriage that can be good, and if you do it right, it can be healthy, and, and all of these things. But the only way to never fight with your spouse is to not have a spouse. If I didn't have a wife, I would never have to fight. But here's the flip side of that. I would have also missed out on the best and most important parts of my life. And so, when we look at life, you know, if we don't have any oxen, we are never going to have a mess. But we are invited into a mess And so we need to figure out how to live inside of the mess. You don't want to have conflict with other people. Don't have other people. But not having other people means that we will miss out on the life God has called us to have. Because God has called us to live life with other people. And we're going to be talking more about that next week. But in Psalm 133, it talks about God's view on us living life together. It'll say, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then it'll go on. and we, We stop there. But it'll go on and say this, and we'll explain it in a second. It says, it's like precious oil poured out on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It says, it's good and right for us to live together in unity, to be together, living life together, loving each other, liking each other. And then it tells us that this this is like an oil being poured out on Aaron, covering him from head to toe, soaking him. Now, now this is obviously a metaphor that that we're not familiar with, That, that this is a foreign thing, that we don't do this. That, that in our culture, pouring oil over top of someone is never done in a complimentary way. If you've ever done it, it's probably not because you loved that person so much. Maybe you spilled something, or maybe you were mad, and the only thing you could find was like a jar of oil, and so you dumped it on him. I don't know. But, but we don't do this because, oh, I, I just love you so much, I'm going to pour oil on you. That, that's not a thing that, that we understand. The, but the oil that was used to bless a priest that's being referred to was extremely fragrant. It was heavily scented and spiced so that it had a really strong smell to it. But not like a smell, but like a smell. Like it smelled beautiful. It smelled amazing. This wonderful, pleasing smell. So, soaking Aaron in this oil would create this strong, intense smell that would be able to be smelled for quite a distance and for quite a long time. This, this wonderful smell. Sort of like how when you drive by Kentucky Fried Chicken, and for a moment, like, your car smells really good. And you're like, "Oh," But you have to keep driving. That that there's this the, the uh, picture of this oil being poured down is that it creates this like incredible aroma that people could smell from a ways away and it would smell for a while. Do you can you see the picture of how the unity is supposed to draw people in? That that the aroma that our unity gives off is something people all around are. What is that smell? What is going on? There is something amazing happening over there. We need to go and see what it is. When we live together in unity, we're, we're, it's like we're giving off this incredible aroma to the world around us that, that just smells amazing. And that's how God wants us to live in unity. But, Where there's oxen, stalls are a mess. But God wants us to live in unity with other people. But where there's other people, there's other people. And this is where things get messy. And this is where church can get messy. And this could be places where tension grows up inside of us. Where, as we're living life with other people, and somebody says something, somebody does something, somebody keeps saying something, somebody keeps doing something, and it becomes more and more and more difficult to live life together. Or at least that's what could happen. At least that's what could be the story. But I want to take you to one last place this morning that I think in a very broad way gives us a picture of how we live this out. Paul will write, the Apostle Paul will write a letter to a church in a city called Corinth. And if you want to talk about places that are a mess, Corinth is the king of mess, that the church is is a disaster. And Paul is writing to this church about how to live life together. And there's a famous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's all about love and what love can do and what love looks like. And as he's writing about love to this church that is struggling to love one another, just a couple chapters earlier, he's written to them about how they're having fist fights and getting drunk during communion because they don't want to share. And so they are doing communion with real wine, and people are drinking all the wine. And they're getting drunk, and they're having fist fights with each other. Life is messy. And Paul is writing to this church. And he will write this to them. And this this shows us how do we do this together. He will write, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. Love allows... For us to bear all things together. That when we love each other, we can bear things together. How do we do that? It says, Love believes all things. Or love hopes all things. We'll start, well, or, but I guess we can start, we'll, we'll, yeah. In the text, believe is first. Love believes all things. If I love you, I believe the best for you. I believe the best for you, but I don't just believe the best for you. I believe the best in you. That my love for you is bigger than the thing you said that I could take the wrong way. That I believe the best, that even though somebody said that, and it was ooh, I believe in you. and I believe in your goodness. And so I'm not going to take that the way that I could take that. Because I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to believe the best for you. And I'm going to believe the best in you. That you are good people. It says love hopes all things. When we love each other, we can hope the best for each other. That when I look at you, I want the best for you. I hope for the best things for you. That I'm not in competition with you. I'm not hoping, well, well, I hope they get enough, but just enough to keep me a little bit above them. That I hope all things for you. I want the best for you. But more than that, I hope all things in you. That I want you to be the best you. That, that I hope that you can be, that we can have the hope for the best for each other, hope for each other. That I want, I, I have hope for you in your life, in your story, whatever you're facing. That if you come to me, I am going to give you hope because I love you. And, and when we believe, In one another and when we hope for one another because we love each other then friends love endures all things so how do we endure how do we get together as the family of God with the billion ways that we can offend each other and how do we endure all of it we believe in each other We hope for each other. We bear each other's burdens. And through that, we will endure all things together. But if we don't hope all things, if if we don't believe all things, if, if we don't bear all things, then we won't be able to endure all things. But if we can love, if we can have unity, If we can be a collection of people that are so, so different and yet love each other, choose to be united together, and we can talk to each other in that heart, if we can work together with that heart, we don't need to divide up to keep unity, but rather we can carry the amazing smell of the family of God the amazing smell of brothers and sisters perhaps disagreeing with one another and yet still loving each other and living life together. Then, my friends, we can have oxen and we can have clean stalls. Let's pray together. Father God, as I look around this room and I see each one that's here. I see each life represented here. I see each family represented here. And, and even in that, you can think of the, those who aren't here. And God, I am so in awe and so blessed that you have called us to be family to one another, that you have called us to live in community with each other, that you have called us to the awkward and essential challenge of Christian community. And God, I thank you that each one here is my brother, each one here is my sister, that you have given each one of us and you have given each one of us to each other as a gift. Not a gift that we can return, but a gift to one another. And God, I pray that as we go, as we endeavor to live life together, God, may we not live life together just waiting for the collapse But God, may we be intentional with one another. May we choose to live in unity. May may we bear all things for each other. May we believe all things for each other. May we hope all things for each other. That then as brothers and sisters, we can live in unity with one another. God, I'm so grateful for community. And I'm so grateful for each one here who names the name of Christ, for each one here who has yet to take that step, but for each one here that is our hillside family, God, may we give off such an incredible aroma to the world around us because of our unity, because of our differences, and because of our love for each other. God, I'm so grateful for my friends. I'm so grateful for my family. And I'm so grateful that you've brought us together. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Every week um, at the end of the service, I try to remember, and I usually get there, but I don't always, but I try to remember to tell you that I love you and I believe in you. That as a church, we love you and we believe in you. That we think you're amazing and we think you're amazing. And it's not just because I'm trying to speak something into existence. It's because it's really true. God has brought together an incredible collection of people. And he will continue to build his church. Our part is just, let's not tear it down. Let's work together as brothers and sisters in the Lord to see God continue to build his church. When your week feels like a beat down yeah. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.